It was a huge night out, and uh, in my drunken stupor, I actually hit my groin on one of those chunky bollards. But as it turned out, it actually wasn't a bollard at all. I was sexually assaulted by Brad Drew. I know it might sound strange to say it, but if I had the choice between keeping Cameron Smith or Augusto Pinochet in power, I'd still lean with Pinochet. The trio would have to be Craig Gower, Jason Moody, and Sam Obst. Because I just can't see another three players fitting in musically with Craig McLaughlin and Check One Two. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast campaigning for a new NRL team in Mexico City, if for no other reason than to see a Grade 5 beheading. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be chatting NRL expansion, player movements, and who the best sporting team has been in the last five years. But first, I am joined in the studio by the man spearheading a Kickstarter campaign to have a douchebag tumour removed from Ray Hadley's pituitary gland. It's Xander Risotto. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, mate. Mate, um, now is this accurate medical science? Uh, I, I don't I think I've ever heard of a douchebag tumour, but you're essentially saying that this has been the cause of his abhorrent behaviour all these years. No, it's just, it's just part of it, really. I mean, it's, it's one aspect of it, but, but I figure if we get... Get it removed, he yep. might commentate a little bit less like radio when he's on TV. He is the worst commentator. We were talking about this earlier today. I think we've established Ray Hadley is the worst commentator to ever broadcast the game of rugby league. For that very reason, he doesn't realise that TV is a visual medium, Xander. No, no, he doesn't. It's it's, it's a really painful experience uh, watching games when, he, when he's been on Channel 9 and, and having him explain to you exactly where a kicker is lined up, like to the inch. Uh, he does do about, that. Yeah, and you're like, mate, we can see the fucking game oh dear is there a chance if you did attempt uh, this scientific uh, operation on mr hadley that he would die hopefully um since we are removing things um castration i think if at the same time just two birds <laughs> with one stone what you could still on hadley or yeah still on hadley <laughs> yeah i think um if you're going to do the whole pituitary gland tumor thing just yeah. lop the old balls off at the same time uh grind it grind it up to a fine powder and then let his son snort it um seems like a pretty fair <laughs> Pretty fair thing for me, uh, which I think is a, a very savoury note, Xander, to get tucked into our very first NRL topic. Tucked in, I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Uh, now, it is Latrell Mitchell. Now, apologies, listeners, if we do sound a little bit like broken records, but the saga, unfortunately, does continue. Uh, this week, Latrell Mitchell has been linked with both Rugby Union and more heavily with the Gold Coast Titans, Xander. Um where is all this paper talk suggesting Mitchell will be in 2020? What does your gut say? Oh, he's going to stay with the Roosters, I think, at this point. Um, which, <laughs> Do you really think that'll be the case? Yeah. I, like At this stage, I, I genuinely think he's going to just play out the 2020 season with us and, um, and uh, reassess his options because it's, it sounds to me, you know, I mean, I think the papers have probably overblown it a bit, um, but that he's had, uh, you know, his many managers, all the people who are, who are representing him have been making these... Um, uh, I suppose, representations to different potential suitors like Rugby Australia and, mm. and others, kind of unsolicited almost. And, uh, you know, uh, they just... You think they've gone rogue? Yeah, I, I think I think by... Yeah, I, I think by asking for that million-dollar price tag and then, you know, stuffing things up with the Tigers and... I mean, th- that said... The Tigers said they withdrew their office, but but they but it'd still be on the table. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, there's a lot of um, misdirection going on. Uh, whether or not even Latrell Mitchell was legitimately 
yeah. uh, or his management was legitimately ever interested in the West's Tigers is actually hard to, or I guess remains to be seen. But if you think that uh, Mitchell might be staying with the Roosters in 2020, what will that season look like? Because from what I've already read, uh, the Roosters have been pretty clear that he may not be playing first grade if he stays. Could he be playing with Norths in no, 2020? I don't. I mean, you know, that finally somebody in his limited uh, cop to this that it couldn't be substantiated, that particular rumour. I saw that in the paper today. Mm. So, I was, you know, I, I thought that was always one of those things that was put out there for, for headlines. Maybe it was an off-the-cuff comment uh, out of, you know, uh, frustration by somebody. But I, I seriously doubt that Robinson would, have, would ever consider putting a, a representative centre of his his ability um, uh, into reserve grade for a full year. I mean, that's just slanderous towards the old North Sydney strip, mate. Uh, mate, it would be a proud tradition for Latrell Mitchell to turn out at North Sydney Oval in front of a giant crowd of 11. Um, it's a great ground. It has fairly cheap beer and ample parking. Well, so, you know, he could play fullback there. He could always, he could do a lot worse than play for the old Bears. But look, uh, Xander, as a Roosters man, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly worried that he will end up at, at Easts. Uh, and I don't... I mean, any disrespect to the Mitchell here, obviously we've earned two premierships uh, with him playing at centre and he's been very good. But as talented as he is, I think the way that all this has sort of played out in the media raises the chance of Mitchell destabilising the team, um, given there might be some bad blood now. Do you think there's a chance that that might be the case? I hope not. I, I can see where you're coming from, though. I mean, it's it, it, if, if there's a saga throughout the entire year, you know, basically around where he's going to end up in 2021, mm. then it, it is one of those distractions that you just don't need. And yep. um, there, there was a good piece, I can't remember, it was in one of the papers the other day. Probably written by me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it I mean, if it's a good rep- piece. Reputable uh, <laughs> publication online somewhere. Was it written in crayon with pop-up <laughs> pictures? Because that's generally how I put my prose together. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but they, they talked about how uh, the difference between the way that Tedesco's management has dealt with his contract negotiations and the fact that um, the Roosters had put together like a, uh, a dedicated legal team to, to manage the fallout between his former and uh, new managers. Yeah, right. And and how they've kept that distraction away from him. Mm. Whereas it, it does feel like with, with Mitchell, he had his own manager uh, shift in the middle of the year that was... Uh, you know, brought on by him and 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 other close confidants, and it it seems like that there isn't that same ability for for the Roosters management to kind of play a role in trying to remove the distractions because it is about you know his his next mm. upcoming contract. So, yeah. look as you said, and I think an important part of this puzzle is the fact that one of the key attributes of this latest Sydney Roosters team has been its unity. Mm. Um, and it's such a tight-knit unit. In fact, Nick Politis, I think, commented that this team, uh, the 2019 grand final winning team, is the closest and tight-knit unit that mm. he ever remembers. And obviously, he's uh, presided over a fair bit of success. So it seems to me that that is a lot at risk. There's a lot at mm. stake um, if Latrell Mitchell sort of the um, the ructions continue there between his management and other clubs. I, I think... You almost have to make a calculated judgment there whether or not, as talented as he is, he's going to rock the boat too much. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and that, that's a call that they'll they'll have to make. I mean, they're pretty astute um, uh, management setup, though. So mm. I don't know. I, I suspect that they they'd find a way to make it work. They would just they would just uh, put structures in in place and timelines to say that look, you can you can do what you want around your contract, but you've got to. Leave it to you've got to get it done by say the first quarter of the year, and then, right. then no more. Put a deadline on him. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem as though uh, Latrell's man- management responds 
particularly well to deadlines though at the moment. <laughs> so, so I think they are the fly in the ointment at the moment. The fact he has a, a fairly rogue management team uh, muddying the waters. How credible do you think uh, these linkages are to the Gold Coast Titans? Mount Meninga seems very confident. In fact, he almost seems a bit too desperate. You know, like when you're on a date or something and he really wants the second date um, and he's almost salivating and throffing at the mouth. I think he needs a big-name signing quite badly because he knows the Titans are a franchise that might fold if they don't get him. For me, I don't think he's seriously linked to that club. I don't think there's a chance he'll end up there. Yeah, I find it hard to say. I don't know. They'd have to shift players to get... A space in the cap to get him anyway. Mm. They just um, have to kill Ash Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> just drop an anvil on his head. That would free up eight mil. So what is the theory then? If, if if the Tigers aren't really a you know if there are question marks about whether or not he was really serious about the Tigers, North Queensland are gone. The Titans aren't a real prospect. I mean, is 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 he just playing the long long game to go to Souths? Is that the thinking? You know, I think that could be a that could be genuinely. Uh, well, obviously, I don't think it was all rumor mm. um, that he did have ambitions to play with Souths, and his management um, seemed pretty keen on lo- relocating him there. So, whether or not that is the play in twenty twenty one, try to you know jack up the price between now and then, with always the intention of playing for the Roosters in twenty twenty, that seems like it could be pretty credible, actually. Yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah, which is... It's worked a treat. Yeah, but it's a poor reflection on him, isn't it? Uh, not that it necessarily was his direct doing, but it reflects badly on him. Yeah, I, I know. And I know you love the trill. Uh, it, it's more that I think he's 22, you know. Mm. Um, I don't know, if, if I was 22, I probably... I don't think I had that, that great judgment back at 22, so... Mm. You're still scratching your, scratching your ass and bumping into things. That's that's right. I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to be too harsh when you've got that many people pumping you up mm. and you've been had that much success. I you know I don't want to be too rough on somebody who's come from that particular circumstance, you know? Well, just remember, Cooper Cronk, at the same age, he was already investing in blue-chip shares. Um, he had a, a portfolio that was doing quite well, particularly in Monaco. <laughs> so, uh, you know, both sides yeah. of the fence. And mind you, Cooper Cronk, right? Like, I mean, it took him a long time to be recognised as a class halfback. You know, he was all, he was he was uh, only really in the last few years of his career was he was he really ever discussed as a as a sort of potential like great because throughout his career he was always talked about in the context of the great players around him. That's true. In fact, he, he took a long time to be recognised. Full stop. Mm. Uh, there were times, I think, when uh, his team was being mobbed by photographers and fans and people would often uh, give Cooper the camera to take photos of other players because they just assumed <laughs> that he was part of the support staff. So I did feel for him very deeply in those early years. Wasn't there also, when, when they got done for the salary cap breaches, um, I remember I remember reading at the time um, that he was, uh, he, he'd found out that you know, other players were, you know, who were getting all these big double contracts um, were clearly more valued by the club than he was and he was a more than a little cut about it i remember i don't, don't know if you remember reading that but i, I love something the, along those lines where he you know obviously he was i think he was just like on a base contract or something i can't remember <laughs> the details but like they they, they didn't sit, feel the need to do that secondary accounting for him <laughs> you know <laughs> i love the idea of being cut that a team didn't cheat for you that's uh, that's quite amusing. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Like, I mean, you find out that everyone else in the team has a second contract, but mm. you. I love it. <laughs> you, know? you, you mean no one else here is getting thirty-five k a year plus meal vouchers? What I do enjoy about that is the fact that uh, so many players there uh, with double contracts seem to be allegedly blissfully unaware that any of that stuff was going on. It's going well. I thought it was perfectly normal that four Ferraris turned up at my house every fortnight. 
Your Honour. Um, anyway, enough about Cameron Smith. We could talk about him all day. Um, I don't want to drift too much from Latrell Mitchell because I did have a few things I wanted to finish off on here with Xander. And um, this was the prospect. Let's play some hypotheticals here, some thought experiments. If Latrell Mitchell does indeed get stranded without any other offers, doesn't end up going to rugby because the game doesn't exist anymore in Australia, doesn't go to the Titans because that won't exist anymore next year, he should really stop chasing apparitions. It's very bad for him. Um, so he ends up at the Roosters and say, for example, we decide not to play him. We put our stability first and those rumours you talked about earlier turn out to be legitimate. What would he do for the year of 2020 if he was just sitting back and being paid by the Roosters and not playing any football? I mean, what would uh, Latrell Mitchell do with 12 months of free time? Maybe some Jenny Craig commercials. Um, <laughs> that's harsh, I, I felt like I had to have another crack at his weight because you took umbrage uh, so much with my last crack on the last episode about Latrell's weight. I thought I'd weigh in again there <laughs> with another one. But no, is there things that maybe he could check off his bucket list in 2020 instead? He could maybe do that sort of cliched thing, read a, a thousand novels. That's ridiculous. Make it a hundred novels. That's more realistic. Go see Nepal. All this while playing for Norths. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it. Playing for Norths, inverted commas, pretty easy. Turn up and smash the cutters. I mean, that's not <laughs> hard. Um, what would, in your view, Luttrell do with all that spare time? Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that if they were, if they were genuinely were to drop into a reserve grade, he'd probably just pick up a contract in, I don't know, French rugby or the Super League or something. He'd, he'd find some other way to get out. Yeah, right. So you think that there's no way that uh, Luttrell could be idle with his time? I mean, he'd still be on good money and he'd be not doing having to do much. Well, like yeah, like you say, he would he'd be on reasonable money. But if, if the plan is for him to just bide his time and then up his contract value, then if he's playing in reserve grade, it's not going to... Going to damage his price, yeah. is it? Yeah. Although South might get desperate. <laughs> well, they did hire Wayne Bennett. Now, there has been a lot made of this uh, contract negotiation, Xander, in terms of uh, the media making too much fuss of it. Now, something deeply ironic happened today, and I found it quite amusing. Uh, one, Phil Rothfield, otherwise known as Buzz Scumbag, he wrote a piece, I think t- I think it was today or yesterday. Oh, yeah, I saw the headline. Suggesting yeah. uh, that this case, uh, despite being a largely news-limited agenda, it feels like uh, they shouldn't have been so harsh on Latrell Mitchell and his negotiations. It's pretty funny to see this coming through the Daily Telegraph, which has had an article, of, or three a day, three on, a day on the contract negotiations. A feeding frenzy, yeah. and now uh, he has the temerity to now yeah. think that the media frenzy was uh, not warranted. Classic, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Classic buzz, you know, it just... There's a term for it, right, where, where where you abuse somebody and then talk about how terrible it is that they've been treated. I don't know what, what it is, but... Um, Catfishing? Yeah, no. something like that. No, gaslighting. Is gas, it gas yeah, gaslighting is yeah. probably it. Or know. has it just been a cunt? Yeah. It's hard to tell just these days, buzz. isn't it? Just been Buzz Rothfield. <laughs> I think just we'll probably cover it. Now, we did put this out to Twitter. We asked our listeners, where will Latrell Mitchell end up in 2020? For the record, 51% said he would stay with the Roosters. Only 8% thought he'd go to Rugby Union. 4% thought he'd go to the Cowboys and 37% thought he'd go to the Gold Coast Titans, which leads us to only one conclusion. 37% of Twitter are on drugs. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Xander, uh, the new ARL Commission Chairman, Peter Volandis. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that surname correctly. I don't like it when there's a rogue apostrophe in anyone's surname. In fact, that's why I've never been involved with an O'Donoghue in my entire life. I've, I'm not a fan of it. I haven't, I haven't seen a, a surname that, with an apostrophe that isn't an Irish O surname, to be yes. honest. 
I, you know what I think? I think this is a typo and Peter's just stuck with it. I think he got something back from the fucking DMV at one point and just went, well, I guess their typo will just roll with it. In fact, that often, it's more common than you think. I mean, and it's it's not like it's, you know, because the Irish surnames start with O or like the Scots have Mc, but it's, it's you say the, the O where it's, you don't say the Landys, you get the Landys. Yeah, exactly. Why jam it in between yeah. two consonants? Just makes no sense. But look, he's flagged plans and for a second team in Brisbane. Now, this is in line with the ongoing debate on as to whether the NRL should expand its teams beyond what we have at the moment. Now, given nobody is particularly fond of the Brisbane Broncos, doesn't this just double the hate? You know, hate comes with success and they'd have to be successful. The reason so many teams hate the Melbourne Storm is because they've been so bloody good, which yeah. is the reason we don't hate them so much at the Roosters because we keep beating them. Yeah, um, more recently. It's been, <laughs> it's been quite great. fun to do, actually. I, I, I have I've got to say, over the last couple of years, my hate for them has gone down massively. Yeah, that's, you're right. There does tend to be proportional <laughs> yeah. to your team's success against that team. That's right. So, I mean, the, the Broncos as well used to hate them in the 90s because they always won. These days, I just feel sorry for them every time mm. I see Anthony Milford. Um, <laughs> who you've already noted looks incessantly sleepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks like Captain Snooze. Yeah, just, I mean, um, or a black version. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Got to clarify that. He was a white guy with a beard. <laughs> so not sure how much he I looks I just remember like the hat, really, but anyway. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think a, a second team in Brisbane... Yeah, it would it would need it would need something to hate. Uh, they need to they need to be successful to hate them. Well, this is the interesting question. Now, I think, look, I think on an economic scale, I think there's so many people in Brisbane who love rugby league, so that's a checkbox. Uh, a lot of people, Brisbane Broncos, arguably the most successful club in the NRL, huge amount of members. Now, I think there is an argument to suggest that there probably is room in the market for another team in Brisbane. It seems like it's probably. 15 years past its Dubai date that a second team could enter that one city town. Uh, But the big question, I know we've discussed this before, is would fans in Brisbane get behind a second team after being so fanatical about the Broncos for, what is it, over 30 years? Yeah, this is the question I've always got. I mean, it's the the National Rugby League and there are two key population centres that we have no representation in. Uh, in in Perth and Adelaide, mm. and we're prioritising uh, putting a, a second team in Brisbane, where I I really don't understand and haven't seen a convincing case as to to where the demographic identity rifts exist within Brisbane that you can you can uh, take advantage of. Yeah. So is it is it South Brisbane, Central Brisbane, North? Where where is that that sort of like like Sydney north of the bridge, south of the bridge? East Coast versus Western suburbs. Where is that difference in identity that you can you can leverage to create a new team? I, I just don't see it. And you made a good point before, Xander, that you know in Sydney it sort of naturally exists. For example, mm. East versus West kind of hate each other. This yeah. is the old Silvertails fibros argument. I guess being less familiar with Brisbane, uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but I don't know if those kind of risks exist between Brisbane Central and South Brisbane. Mm. So the challenge would be to create a whole new identity that people in South Brisbane and even maybe south of Brisbane could get behind um, and leave the Brisbane Broncos ship, which has been pretty well established. Yeah, it's, I mean, the only the only real opportunity I can see there is that, that, that well, there's two bids, is that the Brisbane Brothers and the Brisbane Bombers, right? Mm. Um, you know, you probably just have to call them Brisbane and, and, and make their identity about something. Mm. Um, you know, the Brothers... The, the South Queensland Ice Addicts? Because <laughs> I know meth is quite rife there. 
I think that's that's, that's more South Melbourne, isn't it? <laughs> there too. Yeah, it's great meth. It's meth all of our country. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's ubiquitous everywhere. But if you were gonna, as you said, go out on a limb and have a unique identity, embracing crystal meth could be the way. <laughs> they'd certainly they'd certainly be dynamic on the field. No, but I mean the way the way I look they'd at it, it'd be unstoppable. <laughs> Imagine coming up to the fullback for about three days straight, and the fullback pulls out the capsicum spray, can't bring him down. <laughs> mind you, mind you, they, they'd be gassed by finals time, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they'd be dead by then. <laughs> yeah, they would have. They would have expired as a person. Classic March premiers. Um, <laughs> they would be the St George north <laughs> yeah. of the border. But yeah, but what, getting back to what I was saying is that I think I think you need to make the identity about something distinct. So there is something kind of corporate about the Broncos, right? And the Bombers, I think, have that problem as an identity. Is it seems to have a similar corporate feel to it. Whereas, can you take the listeners through the Bombers? Because I'm not as familiar. I know that's the um, that's the pitch, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But can you unpack that a little bit? Do you know, happen to know any details about what that Bombers franchise entails? Yeah, so I, I read up on it a while back. I read up on the two big ones, which were the two I mentioned. They've, they've also had talks about something in Ipswich, which seems far too narrow for, for me. Yeah. But um, the, the the Bombers were, were kind of like the... the uh, the slick corporate backed, um, I think you know, with, with plenty of uh, millionaire money uh, and and uh, sponsorship support uh, lined up as a bid. Whilst the brothers were, I think, a a like a, a more community based and organic grassroots setup. Can I tell you, I'm completely not familiar with the Brisbane brothers. I've never even heard of that. I'm quite familiar with the Bombers yeah. concept. But the brothers? That sounds like it's a religious organisation. Does a little, doesn't it? But, yeah. but I remember I read up on this because I, I was curious, you know, because we've had this of this this point about the the divide in Brisbane. I mean, where where do you find that that new identity? Yeah, there was a few pieces on the Raw and on the League Unlimited about it, and the, the brothers seemed to be a bid that was had that kind of more organic feel, and I can see that working if you could get enough support behind it because it would be different enough from the Broncos. Where I don't know mm. if the the Bombers have that kind of astroturf. Western Sydney Giants feel to them, right? You know what I mean. Yeah, Where it's, yeah. You're just like, oh, we'll call them the Giants and put them out at Western Sydney. It's, you know, <laughs> the brothers seem so random. Yeah, well, I, I get the <clears throat> idea of community, but, but what would that emblem look like? Would it be essentially a priest molesting a small child? Or I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's brothers in the religious sense. I think it's more brothers in arms. But I um, see. But, well, okay. Well, sometimes there is arms yeah. involved in molestation. That's, um, that's, but that's, that's true. It's sometimes legs. No, but okay, that's really interesting. And out of the two, which one did you find the most compelling? Yeah. Well, I mean. Financially, the bombers make more sense because they've got the money behind them from from what I saw. But long term sustainability, sustainability, uh, my gut feel was actually the brothers had more of a distinction between between what the what like in terms of what their values seem to be, right? Whereas, right. you know, the bombers just seemed like Broncos Mark II. Yeah, right. Well, that's interesting. It does bring us to another question: Is should we be expanding at all? Um, and if so, does it make sense to make a double addition? I would have thought that it probably would have. I don't think we'd want to be going, going up in singles. No one likes the concept of a competition with buys. Mm. Um, so I'm going to put the question to you. If you could add two teams to the competition next year, obviously that's a bit of a pipe dream, where would you put the two teams? Yeah, I've been saying this for a while, but it, for me it's a no-brainer. You go Perth is your first priority. 
Um, uh, the reasons are that Perth, you get a new time zone uh, for the game. The Western Force and rugby were cancelled a couple of years ago and it's been a massive sticking point for the rugby community over there. They're still pissed off at Rugby Australia. Yep. So you can you can leverage that anger. And the NRL, you know, wisely been taking games out there in Origin and all the rest of it. But they need to get a side there and show that city some love. Two million people, same size as uh, Brisbane, similar kind of mining, you know, town dynamics. Yeah. A lot of... Way uh, more cr- uh, bankrupt businessmen. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. But they have a lot of... They have a lot of Eastern State immigrants, effectively. Yeah. Um, uh, who've gone over there for work? Um, I think it's it's a serious priority to have uh, a, um, a a Perth side in the competition for all of those reasons. And um, well, the critics would say, Xander, and I I agree with a lot of that. The critics would say, but we've tried that. We did the Western Reds. What's your postscript to that? Do you think that the Western Reds just wasn't um, prosecuted properly, or was a, a victim of the circumstance that it was in? Obviously, well, it, it was in a time when the game was in disarray. Yeah, it was a victim of. I mean, you know, if you look at their crowd averages, they were doing pretty well. Um, they they just when you actually go back and look at the history of it the the teams that were cut were cut on on some pretty arbitrary measures of Mm. of, um uh club finances attendances and success rates and things like that and Mm. i remember somebody did the analysis a little while ago where they basically tried to you know recreate those standards i think it was on the raw and that you know if you were to do that to the clubs today all these high profile clubs would be cut that's right. Yeah, so, I think that rationalisation process was pretty unfair. Yeah, so... I remember uh, they kicked out Norths and in the details it said, because you have Jason Taylor playing for you. And I thought that was pretty <laughs> that mean. Was, that was justified. You're right. Um, but back to Perth, I mean, um, I think you're quite right there. And in fact, from what I my understanding of that history is that essentially it was doing okay, but someone said, let's do Melbourne instead. And a yeah. lot of the executives and the players ended up moving across to the Storm, which That's right, the rest yeah. is history. Yeah. They obviously went on to become quite successful. Yeah, I mean, if, if they'd been able to... See, the Melbourne Summer have been a great success, but it was an expensive operation. And, and, and one of the arguments that I have read against Perth is that, um, well, you know, they're going up against the likes of um, the West Coast Eagles and, uh, and Fremantle. Yeah, and, AFL very well established there, yeah, obviously. But, you know, the, 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 that's still a, a market of two million people that effectively has two winter football codes now. Yeah. You know, uh, well, they've got the Perth Glory in the A League that plays over the summer, but they don't have a they don't have a rugby code of any um, you know form there now. They've got that Mickey Mouse competition that Forest runs, but yeah. nobody gives a shit. Good old Twiggy. Yeah, is Twiggy a fan of league at all? Can we get funding from him, or is he really pro union? I, I you know I don't I don't know to be honest. I think if I think if the NRL were to approach him and say, look, you know, we'll um help you get mining tenements <laughs> I don't know. Um, Twiggy if we decide to rape the soil for free over here will we put a league team in can you oblige yeah I mean, some some player I mean he, he loves his rugby it's it's true and he's at war with rugby Australia I think I think the NRL need to make a play there though and they mm. probably need to approach him and say look you know you're not getting anywhere with rugby Australia yep. they're about to lose all their money going to court over Israel Falau Yep. Put your money where where it's actually going to do something and back an NRL team. Well, it's funny though. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like Mr. Apostrophe's on your side, Peter Volandis, because I, he's basically knocked the concept of a Perth side on the head anytime soon, which is a bit disappointing because I, I happen to agree with you. I think that seems like an obvious market at some point barely soon to expand into. Uh, but I don't want to digress too much because you did have a second I team did have you a wanted to add. Team. So please, hit, hit us up with that. So that's that's my first team. Um, my second team is uh, South Island, New Zealand. Okay. Now this is, I think for a lot of people, a bit left field, but explain your case. So, I mean, I've long thought that um, New Zealand probably long-term needs three professional sides. Like, I don't know, that, that might be a 30, 40-year prospect. 
Um, but the the logic there is from a, from a whole of game standpoint, you want New Zealand to be as strong as possible, mm. and it helps the Pacific as well by making them strong because, like Australia, they have a lot of Pacifica players. Um, but if you have a, a South Island team. Um, you have a natural north-south rivalry for the Warriors that actually probably elevates their performances a little bit as well by giving them something like a yardstick a locally. local derby. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think it adds intrigue for, for the New Zealand, New Zealand competition. It adds to the player pool uh, for the New Zealand league team and therefore the credibility of the, the New Zealand national side. Now explain that pool to me because I think a lot of critics would probably say South Island, a rugby union stronghold. Is there a, a, a really a, a big nursery of players in that well, region to tap? Well, yeah. I mean, they, I think they were the, I don't know the last year, but a couple of years running, the Christchurch Bulls is the name of it. They were the, the, the um, champions of the New Zealand Rugby League competition a few years running. Um, Did the Warriors not even win that? <laughs> Auckland didn't, no. <laughs> See, that's the other criticism, right? That people will say, I hear you I, on, mm. the, on the economic argument, but the New Zealand Warriors still haven't turned in a consistent performance since their inception. I know they've been in a grand final or two, but by and large, they don't make the finals. Is adding a second team only going to dilute their performance? Well, I mean, it depends on, on, on how it's... I think, I think a lot of that isn't that they don't have the talent. I mean, they, they've got the bloody talent. I think it's largely the, the, the management of Auckland. Hmm. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's almost an argument that Auckland just aren't a good sporting city. Like the Blues, their, their super rugby team, have been <laughs> crap for 15 years. Yeah. It's all the teams who've won have been south. And their badminton team fucking sucks. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, the um, Cherubs, the Auckland Cherubs, <laughs> fucking shit. So, so I have this, I have this working theory that Auckland is the problem, and that um, if you, you know, if you were to put in a South Island side based out of um, Christchurch, yeah, um, you'd have a really because there's a real natural dislike there already. Yeah, right. And I think that you you have an interesting relationship immediately, and and an, an intense. Um, desire probably in South Island to prove that New Zealand can be good at it and that it's just that Auckland suck. How good would it be if they end up gazumping Auckland and winning the NRL Premiership first? Like, Wouldn't I, that I be amazing? I swear to God, if you were to put aside in, in Christchurch, I have every suspicion that they would win it before the Warriors. We'll, we'll have to see what the punters think about that because we have put that question out to social. Uh, for what it's worth, um, I would probably have... A second team in Brisbane uh, or slash South Queensland. I think there is a, a, a calling for that there. Um, but I think you can't have that and the Gold Coast Titans at the same time. So as harsh as this sounds, I would propose a relocation of the Gold Coast Titans and abolish it from the competition in exchange for a South Queensland team. I'd also have a Perth team. I think that's got to happen. And because we want to go up in twos, it means I'm one team short now, uh, which I would probably have the Central Coast. Um with a bit of Central Coast, yeah, I think yeah. I'd go the Central Coast Bears concept, uh, which I know Greg Florimo at one stage was mm. pitching. I think he might have changed the business model slightly, but essentially you could also capture some of those disenfranchised North Sydney Bears fans yeah. and play a couple of games a year down at North Sydney Oval, plus same colours, and you sort of get a lot of that North Sydney that now don't have a team; they feel a bit non-represented. Um, we'll and, take a minutes. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the Central Coast it is a huge nursery for players. I know that people have talked about scale being a problem but I think if you intermingle that with the identity of the North Sydney Bears you could have yourself a profitable franchise so for what it's worth those are my ideas are you will you want to punch some holes in those or should we go on to social no I I, I actually I, I see the argument there it is a growth area what there's about the same population as Canberra what the Central Coast about 300,000 that's people. right um, yeah I mean I, I guess 
purely from a, a, a superficial standpoint, I, I kind of like the idea of having Perth and Adelaide or something, you know, mm. in the competition first. But I think that that's an immediately sustainable concept. Yeah, uh, Central Coast. And I do think there's already the threat of AFL invading those areas. Yeah. So it's been a historical rugby league heartland, mm. uh, but we're already seeing the signs of that being eroded. And I think it's just a strategic measure against the AFL to make sure we consolidate uh, what has always been a great nursery for rugby league. So here's a question for us. So, I mean, like if, if we spend all of our time kind of shoring up our heartlands, putting a second side in Brisbane, a new side in, in Central Coast, where do we actually start? Where, where, do, we, where do we turn defence into offence, as the Americans say, and yeah. actually start making incursions into AFL heartlands? 100%. I mean, that's a really legitimate point, which is why that plan would also have Perth involved. I mm. think that would be the first step. I think you're right. You've got to play both. Right, mm. um, and, and shoring up what we do best, or shoring up our traditional markets, I think has to be a part of it. Um, but we do also need to, uh, without doing high risk strategies, I think expand into other areas as well. So I would go Perth, Adelaide might be down the track, and New Zealand. I, I think that what your your argument there for a second team in New Zealand actually has a fair bit of merit. So I think that could be something down the track as well. We know that rugby league is pretty healthy in the region mm. as well, and I love what they're doing in bringing in the Pacific Island nations into the, the second and third tiers. I think that long long term, we're going to have a Papua New Guinea side mm. in the competition, hopefully. We may have Fiji, Tonga, who knows? Um, yep. I think there's some really exciting things on the horizon. So in terms of that expansion as well, that could well be a part of the picture. Yeah, long term, I always wonder how, how it's going to look in, in, say, 30 or 40 years where you, you know, you're probably right, you, you would need at some point Port Moresby side if, if the place is developed enough and can sustain it. Yeah. You know, that you would want to ideally something in Port Moresby because that is, you know, 8 million people who are nuts about the game. So if they reach a, a level of development that, you know, is, is um, you know, comparable to parts of Australia, yep. it, it becomes a significant market for us almost immediately. And we've done, uh, the NRL rather, has done some really good things there in, in accelerating that. And I think that there's a natural acceleration point because of their economy and uh, what we've done in terms of the player development side has been really mm. fruitful already. I mean, look at the results they're posting in their team. You can oh, see yeah, the yeah. standard yeah. increase in the last five years is off the charts. No, it is. It's incredible. It's just a. It's just a very complicated country, and it's it's one yes. of the most you know, uh, the the Has most some low, issues to say the well, least. Well, yeah, and it's it's. I think it's one of the lowest rates of urbanisation in the world. So it is eight yeah. million people, but it's not like you can just centre it. You know, no. it's it's a complex one, but I think yeah, it's it's a 30, 40 year prospect. We will go to the punters now, Xander. We asked where should the NRL expand to next. Uh, for the record, a second team in Brisbane scored forty eight percent of the vote. Uh, Perth with thirty eight percent. The Central Coast scored 14%, and I'm very I'm very sad to say this, Xander, a second team in New Zealand, uh, 0%. No vision. Um, unfortunately, that's <laughs> zero from 76 votes. Um, so potentially after this episode goes to where some people might feel persuaded by your argument, but did, for the moment, it's a no-go. Did we have Adelaide in there at all? We didn't. We only It's a max yeah. of four options, yeah. so I did um, debate whether or not to throw Adelaide in um, but yeah, I just went with those options. I, I, think, I think at some point you need to have an Adelaide side in there. I mean, they're taking games there already, but yeah. Look, and that's just the polling, mate. Uh, we also put out the question, lamentably no Adelaide, but from the Woody and Slugs Do League Rugby League podcast, by the way, guys, if you're not on that, give it a listen. It is uh, good value. Uh, they're suggesting Perth and the Sunshine Coast. Um Tell me about the Sunshine Coast. Have you heard that pitched as an idea? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's the idea? Is is it? Have they elaborated on what that is? Well, um, so that's from Woody and Slugs, but Darren from Newey has responded, and he said, 
The Sunshine Coast intrigues me. Could it support a team or would a second Brisbane team who plays half their games on the coast be better? Would need a ground upgrade, but shouldn't cost too much to make a nice boutique ground. So it wasn't so much a, uh, it was more of a contribution rather than um, agreeing or disagreeing. Um, I Honestly, I haven't heard that before. Yeah. So um, I think we need to do a bit of research investigation on that one <laughs> to find out if that's a furphy or not. Now, uh, because this is the voluntary tackle, all of our listeners don't always have um, sincerity at the middle of their minds. So from Andrew Ferguson, he suggested... Albury and New York. Uh, now, we did talk about well, New, New York. York New recently. York is already done. That's just not in the NRL. It's well, I mean, do, are they ready yet for the rigours of National Rugby League in Australia? Oh, I'm sure they could take a few Giants rejects and, <laughs> and have a crack. Media Watch Mario, um, the ever omnipresent Media Watch Mario, said Marrakesh and Las Vegas. Uh, now, he has pushed Marrakesh a lot lately. Uh, I think he might have some shares there. For, for he does indeed. Um, and Las Vegas, let, let's have a bit of a think about whether or not Las Vegas would work in the National Rugby League. What would they bring to the competition outside of overt corruption? Um, yeah, even odds, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Would, would it just be a squad of 17 prostitutes? Because obviously they're known for their girly shows. Um, would it just be 17 slot machines? <laughs> maybe that's right. You know what? Genuinely, I would love to see a squad of sort of fairly effeminate croupiers take the field because I'd want to know how the Roosters, someone like Tiki Aho, for example, what that would look like as he ploughed at full speed. I it could be interesting. E- don't even know what that is, but okay. Now, other responses we had. This was from Sir Richard Cranium. I think that's an alias. Uh, he said Christmas Island and Pyongyang, which is an interesting coupling, isn't it? Because from what I understand, they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. It, it, it would definitely be a contrasting couple of additions to the competition. <laughs> would they? Should they have to play each other? to make it into the National Rugby League? And if so, who would win between Pyongyang and Christmas Island? I get the feeling Pyongyang would win just because more would be at stake for the players. That's true. I hear, I hear when the, when their soccer team lost at the World, like the last World Cup or the one before, like the, the players weren't seen by their families again or something no, ridiculous. That, they were all hung on Like mass. I'm not even joking. No, I, I, it's legitimately true, which is why I thought let's make light of it. Uh, because comedy is the ultimate healer, everybody. No, but yeah, you're 100% right, as in the same in Iraq, uh, when the Iraqi teams didn't do so well. Um, Saddam Hussein's sons used to have them routinely tortured until they learned to defend better. I'm not sure if it's a tactic that's um, been very successful. Certainly Michael Maguire's tried it, and uh, it didn't work so well for South, particularly Greg Inglis's left knee didn't fare so well. <laughs> Um, now, we had uh, Mayan Rattison, which seems to be a play on uh, Ryan Madison. Uh, he says, give me the Sunshine Falcons and a second Melbourne team. So he won't even respond to that. Uh, that's ridiculous, So second Ryan. Melbourne team actually is something that, uh, again, sort of intrigues me, but yeah. Come on, that can't be legitimate, can it? Oh, it's a city of five million people. True, um, but there's not a single Victorian player in their team. <laughs> no, well, we, that's, that's not true anymore, right? Like, they, they have players who've come through the developmental system at this point. From Victoria, though? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, 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 they're born and bred Victorians. They're mostly from New Zealand heritage. Have played top yeah. grade? Yeah, yeah. Who? who? You, you look through. I mean, I, I did this a while ago. Are we going to get Twitter fact-checked, mate? I, I think, I, think uh, I did this a while ago, but yeah, if you look... Okay, no, you, it's probably you, just my ignorance. If but... you Google it, you will see that, yeah, they've got genuine Victorian okay. developmental prospects All right, well, there. we'll definitely have a look at Again, that after yeah, the show. The, the Twitter are probably going to correct me, but I remember, <laughs> I remember looking and wondering about that previously. Yeah, right. But um, oh, Well, then maybe the case is slightly more legitimate than I made out initially. I, I, I wonder, I mean, if you were to do... 
because I think yeah, long term, you know, you probably do need a local derby in Melbourne. Like they've been success, they've been extremely successful. The Storm, mm. um, but the question is, where do you put them? Do you like maybe throw them in in a place like Geelong? Because then they would really well, Geelong would be the obvious yeah. uh, go to, obviously, because they've got that mass, yeah, um, yeah, the economy of scale, and they've supported other teams as well quite successfully. Um, this is a, a legitimate suggestion from Alex Halos who says Perth and Wellington. So he is on board with you, mate. So despite getting 0% in the polls, clearly Alex didn't vote in the poll because he thinks Wellington would be viable. Is that where you'd station the South Island team, by the way? Well, Wellington's not in the South Island. Oh, sorry, of course. (laughs) um, Can we edit this? (laughs) (laughs) It would be Christchurch, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Wellington Wellington was the... um, It's very close, though, to be fair. It's just on the other side of the strait. Yeah. uh, But I'm still fucking wrong. (laughs) It's... It's, it's minor point. It's you know, water. I mean, really. Does I mean, you count? know, Queensland have been using that same logic to pick their players for years. Um, but uh, the that's uh, interesting. So he's going two North Island teams here. Well, yeah, I mean, Wellington. Wellington were the bid for a second New Zealand side, right? It was a Wellington Orcas uh, from memory. Great knowledge. Um, but uh, I just. Uh, I, I just lo- instinctively like the idea of Christchurch more, and that's where the teams have been taking their games. I think there's almost been uh, a recognition that the Caketon, that the stadium in Wellington that they play the games out of, is, isn't the best fit um, in terms of just building an atmosphere and a, and a support base. Is that because they haven't greased the tray properly? Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Baking uh-huh. joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you get it all on the voluntary tackle. Yep. Um, but uh, the, uh, you know. They, they used to take a lot of games there and for a little while they were doing all right, but increasingly all the teams who, who take exhibition games to other parts of New Zealand, they're taking them to Christchurch. Yep. So, you know, the Panthers, Manly, you know, that they've taken... So they obviously see a market there. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think from memory they do own their own stadium in Christchurch. Uh, well, they did until it fell down in the last earthquake. No, no so it's, it's a different stadium. That's the, so if I understand it right, I, I could be wrong, but... Um, the the Crusaders uh, have been playing out of the rugby league ground, which got repurposed right. after the, their main stadium uh, got damaged. Sure. Okay. Well, for the record, I'd also like to relocate Souths to the outback town of Kirakura in Western Australia's Gibson Desert, just because if I am involved in this hypothetical scenario, I'm in charge, so fuck it. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. We're talking Melbourne Storm, and we apologise in advance. Uh, we don't enjoy doing that. But we need to talk about them, Xander, because uh, very recently, they've been named the best sporting team in Australasia over the last five years, beating out a number of clubs, including our very favourite, Sydney Roosters. So my first question to you, mate, is this a deserved title for a team that is full of cheats? Uh, allegedly. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I can I can kind of see how you get to it uh, if they if they're basing it on mostly regular season uh, performances and and uh, attack and defence stats and all the rest of it. The Storm have had a pretty stellar, um, you know, record over the past five seasons. Yeah, I, I find it hard to. I mean, I don't actually understand exactly what all the the criteria. But I think I think in um, Super Rugby, like the Crusaders have went three titles in a row well they've come in at number two yeah uh, the crusaders and you're quite right because we're a podcast that does zero research uh, we haven't found out what that criteria is in fact we barely have read to the end of this news article but um there is 25 teams named and uh, as you've already mentioned the crusaders came in at two for the listeners benefit the new south wales breakers came in at three 
the Sydney FC came in at four, Hurricanes in the Super Rugby five, uh, and then to drop down to other teams, the Richmond Tigers, number seven in the AFL, who have been very successful lately in the cricket, in the Sheffield Shield, Victoria, and you've got the Cronulla Sharks rounding out the list at 25, which I thought was quite generous. Now, the Sharks are at 25. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think if Matt Moylan hadn't played for them, they would have been right up there. You'd have to say some of the, the, the regular season results and generally their performance in the finals, it's, you know, they, they'd have some amazing stats. I think that, that stat from this year where they were the most dominant team in the past 20 years until they hit the finals. Yeah. Um, but Until <laughs> you know, very recently. Till, yeah, till, was it was, it was uh, the most dominant side since St. George's run of 11 or some ridiculous thing. Yeah, right. And look, that's actually a part of my th- theory, Xander, relating to Cameron Smith. You know, he seemed very deflated at the end of last year. I think it's mm. because literally uh, he's still shell-shocked from the idea of being unsuccessful two years in a row as is the yeah. you know the scale of success that the Melbourne Storm have had. He's just so used to it. I think he's a bit like a drug addict, except his drug is success. And uh, he's going through major withdrawals at the moment because the Roosters keep kicking the shit out of their team, um, which I, has been part of the enjoyment for me. I, I wonder if that was part of it, actually, with, with Cam Smith. He's, you're right. Like he, he was really... I mean, he was upset last year, but after the semi-final this year, he definitely looked pretty... Genuinely sad, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. And, I mean, just on the Melbourne Storm itself, what do you think has made it such a successful organisation? Obviously, the likes of Craig Bellamy helps. But uh, outside of the obvious salary cap scandal, hmm. post-2010, uh, their club does seem to be one of those organisations that almost exercises world best, world's best practice. A lot of uh, clubs and people involved in other sports often find themselves looking to the Melbourne Storm hmm. as a model of how they want to run their club. For you, what has made them so successful over the last ten years, in particular? Well, I think I think they're just a, a club that exudes high standards, right? They they have extremely high standards for anybody who's going to be. They they have a pretty, you know, uh, you can debate it with some players, but a bit of a no dickhead policy, which is always helpful. <laughs> yeah, I've um, got plenty of <laughs> plenty of precedents here, Honor. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what I mean, like in terms of players who won't buy into the culture they're happy to you know that they, they won't they won't um take egos yep. um over over uh, team team men is, is, is yep. my and sense. they fuck them off pretty quick don't yeah, they if and, they do and it's to be respected and i think that's that's what i've been pleased with with the way robinson and that have dealt with the the latrell saga is that they haven't been willing to entertain it and pay pay overs that that's what you want in a club and and they spend a lot of time with the all blacks and the all blacks are definitely a paragon of great culture and success for across all sports you know lots of teams look to them and, and they have a really close association with the melbourne storm yeah and they have done for several years so they, they all have a very uh, internally quite humble uh, high standards sort of culture where where eat, no players is considered above the rest of the, the the playing group and um you know no training session is ever successful enough and there is, a, I mean, the funny thing that I mean, people make these jokes all the time, but there are players who don't perform so well and go to the Melbourne mm. Storm, and suddenly they become world beaters. And then when they are off contract and go to another club, they They're sort not. of go back. To, they they <laughs> yeah. come back to mediocrity yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, the likes of Proctor, for example, yeah. comes to mind. Adam Blair comes to mind. There's a number of candidates that you could point to. Jason Riles, you got the best out of him down there. Um, so obviously that speaks for the culture, mm. doesn't it? Because if the same talent isn't performing with other clubs, then the master variable there surely is the Melbourne Storm's in team environment. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. And 
you, you see it a lot at the moment, you know, team. I think I think the, the sort of corollary to that is 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 the Auckland Warriors, right? Like, I mean, you know, it's like teams <laughs> inversely proportional <laughs> yeah. to everything successful just, about the Melbourne Storm. So it, you're it, part of the Warriors. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You know, people talk about you know uh, clubs. Um, uh, they wouldn't be successful to have this player or this player. Uh, increasingly, it seems to be not about players but systems. You know, players are incredibly important. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, you see that with the the effect that like guys like uh, Cronk had on the Roosters, but the effect that he had wasn't so much on. It wasn't. It wasn't really primarily on the field. It was. It was all about culture. Yeah. Um, and what's the, what's what do you think has been the instigator of that? Is this all Craig Bellamy, or is there more to the picture down at Melbourne? I think it, I think it's larger than Bellamy. I think Bellamy's a really critical part of it, but they had that that um, ownership change um, the early part of the decade as well that sort of built on and reinforced that system. Yeah, right. Mm. And you know the other thing there have been. Remember we pointed to before players that get really good there and. But if they don't, they get booted out pretty quick. Yeah. People like Ben Roberts, for example, there have been people that they've bought and I've gone, oh, surely they can't make that work. And very occasionally, they can't. Yeah. Um, there was that very famous story and somewhat humorous uh, when George Rose went down to the Melbourne Storm. <laughs> and of course, big George Rose, a, a huge character in the game. I like him a lot, actually. Quite literally. Yeah, exactly. Quite literally uh, cast a giant shadow over the game. Uh, he went down there and everyone thought, wow, this could be the making of George Rose because he'd finally have to train hard. And I think he lasted three weeks and he went, fuck this. And <laughs> They he... told him he couldn't have meat pies between every 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 sprint session. <laughs> That's right. And pretty soon he went, mm, I don't think rugby league's for me. So it definitely it separates the wheat from the chaff. Uh, but I think he's actually doing something better with his life at the moment. He's very good on NITV, that uh, Over the Black Dot show. Um, he, I think he's on the panel. He's... I like George. He's he's a good man, but there is obviously a point where your obesity becomes a major hindrance. Yeah, when it's when you don't have a momentum behind you and you're breaking the line at least, <laughs> and you're breaking wind, don't you? Yeah. And there was a time in that 2013 grand final. Thank goodness George Rose was playing because oh, yeah, Aiden yeah. Guerra ran through the biggest gap you've ever seen. And in the background, you can just see. George Rose wailing like a fish with asthma. So you always worried when he was running at your line at full pelt after he just had a rest because he had just that much momentum. It's pure physics, right? But yep. when when you had a player, when you had the ball and you were had a player who could put a step, you would just want him to be in front of you, wouldn't <laughs> Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Now, in this same list, uh, the Roosters is at eight. Do you think that's a fair assessment of how the Roosters have performed over the last five years? Because obviously I'm outrageously prejudiced and I thought we should have dominated one, two, and three. Uh, but we've come in at eight, uh, below the likes of the Richmond Tigers, uh, the Hurricanes, Sydney FC. I mean, frankly, if Sydney FC attempted to take on the Roosters in a game of rugby league, I think we'd win and win well. I think we'd beat them at fucking soccer, to be honest. I, see, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think Tedesco, Tedesco would be a magnificent yeah. goalkeeper. There's Abs- no doubt about absolutely. that. Absolutely. He'd be... Yeah, I, I imagine he'd score a lot of tries too. I think um, he probably would. <laughs> but, but, but is uh, that a fair assessment or should we be higher on that list? I kind of feel like we should be higher, actually. I mean, you know, if the Hurricanes are there, I think they've won, you know, what I think one title in in the past ten years or something. Yeah. Um. You know, I think if they're if they're higher on the list and it's just on regular season, I think I think if you focus it entirely on regular season, then you're you're kind of missing data points. Now we also went to Twitter here, Xander, and uh, we asked who has been Australasia's best team over the last five years. Uh, It's been very tight, uh, but the Sydney Roosters came in at 40%, Melbourne Storm at 35%, uh, the Canterbury Crusaders clocked up 19%, 
and the Richmond Tigers scored a lowly 6%. And I say, suck shit. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. It's time for Eamon's Thought Bubble. Um, Now, uh, following up from my magnificent idea last week, Xander, of publishing uh, people's salaries, player salaries specifically, um, it was met with a lot of condemnation. In fact, I got a lot of death threats over it, um, mainly from a lot of the salary cap cheats in Melbourne. But this week, uh, it's less about the players' salaries and more about some uh, rules around the on-field play. Scrums, they've had a, a bit of a, a poor reputation the last 20 years when particularly it hasn't been a contest for at least 20 to 25 years. Um, and it's now, seen... now, now, we, we had a tight head in 2004. That's right. There was that one time. But apart from that, it is a bit of a farce. My argument for actually having scrums in the game and maintaining it has always been it's a great platform for a creative team or an aggressive team uh, to stage a set play, right? Because you get all the forwards out of the way. But it does look a bit silly when you've got the forwards and no one's pushing. And even when they do win one in 380 scrums, the referee goes, nah, do it again. So it's not a great look for the game. So Eamon's thought bubble for this week is to actually abolish scrums, but where we have scrums now at the same restart values, uh, we have all of the forwards stand out of the play and they can't participate in the first play. So they stand behind by about 30 metres and then the first play is done by a tap and then only after the play gets tackled can all the forwards join both teams. How does that sound? What's going to go wrong with it? Does it seem like it's not conducive to any kind of reality whatsoever? Feel free to lay all the questions on me. Yeah, I, I, Bullshit! I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't like <laughs> the what idea. What are your immediate criticisms? I mean, I, I think visually it looks just as silly as, <laughs> as having the scrums you know, being not contested. If anything, it probably looks even more silly because you've got half the team. I mean, it, it's one of those things in years to come, if you were to do it, people would be like, why the hell are half the team just okay. standing 30 Vs? Okay, can I uh, have a right to object? Okay. Uh, what if instead have them at the dead ball line in three-legged races? You know, they well, you had to do it at the old You're athletics turning carnivals. Turning rugby league into Bloons ball. <laughs> Future armor yeah, reference. Yeah. I loved it. Um, but yeah, no, and you know, they always say we're trying to bring the little guys into the game and that means tiring the forwards out. Yeah. Maybe the forwards need to do three laps of the oval <laughs> before they can rejoin. And then they come on in their bucket and there's a lot more space in the game. So I think there is a genuine discussion to be had about <laughs> about what to do with the scrums, but I don't think this is a solution. All right, well, just... let's let's put mine in the trash can yep. for now, although we'll let the listeners decide ultimately. But um, if you had a solution to the scrums at the moment to make sure that they didn't look as farcical as they do at the moment, what would you propose? Um, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I actually think I'd like to see them be able to, to push. To contest. <laughs> yeah. I know, it seems like a pretty simple answer, you doesn't know, it? Like, I mean, I know that... This has just been the direction the game's gone in, but like if if they've been willing to um, re-examine this, re-examine the um, the strip rule, yeah, um, and um, you know allow that contest back into the tackle, I don't see there being a great harm in in just you know you don't you don't want to turn it into a rugby scrum where you. you You've, you've basically got reset after reset, but you allow... That's the fear, isn't it? I yeah. think that's the fear for a lot of NRL uh, fans is that they like the, the crispness and the cleanness of the way that the game is contested. Maybe if they saw it just potentially descend into rugby-esque scrums, yeah. that would be bad for everyone. 
Yeah, but I mean, they, they, they pack them at a, at a higher angle anyway. You yeah. know, I mean, in, in rugby, you're, you're basically at a 45-degree angle. Yeah, they're pretty much putting their nipples on the ground, aren't yeah. they? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very visually different thing. Um, and and the, the kind of body shape you need to, to, to you know, set those is, is just very different. Like, you need to be quite specialised. Rugby league isn't going to go down that path, so I don't think it's ever going to get that messy. Yeah. Like, I feel, feel like maybe you get... Maybe you just bring in a rule where you get two resets and if it goes more than that, you just get a quick tap and that's it. Yeah, right. Well, what's the, what's the argument against just having a quick tap? Well, maybe that's the simplest solution. The, the argument against it is that you don't have that, that um, uh, opportunity for all the forwards to be locked up. And, yeah. But, the, you know, to be honest... It doesn't get used that much yeah, anyway. Yeah, it doesn't, does but, it? But I actually don't think... I think that's a failure of club tactics rather than mm. the system. I think... Most clubs are missing a trick, actually. I don't think there's enough creative play uh, produced from the scrum. It's a perfect opportunity. And it just it seems at the moment with the we're going through a phase of high structure and mm. people aren't willing to uh, risk losing possession or do anything particularly creative. It, it, it actually is one of my pet hates to yeah. just see the line set out and then there's one pass and someone just hits it up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you used to see a lot more of it. Like uh, Tim Sheens was famous for, for, you know, pioneering a, a lot of really interesting scrum plays where they'd split up the middle and yeah. you know, do all kinds of uh, funky ma- uh, manoeuvres off them. And I think they were really, like, great to watch. Yeah, and even the old uh, chestnut, the kick off the scrum. If you've yeah. got a scrum deep in your own half and you have a flyer in your team, yeah, you know, just punting it downfield and let let the running race proceed. I mean, I've seen plenty of tries score back. Yeah. Tries scored off that in the, back in the day. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's probably one of those things where you want to keep it in the game just for when the, the trend runs, you know, its course and goes around to be able to... And yeah. maybe you just structure the rules in a way. I don't know what you do to try and make them more, you know, to increase the incentives to do, you know, things with them. But um, I don't know, maybe you force the defensive side to, to have the fullback in the line or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So just to recap, you're not a big fan of having all the forwards do an urban athlon. No. Oh, yeah. Well, Xander, we're getting to the pointy end of the show and we're doing our 2020 predictions uh, where we go through each show and give our two cents on how we think uh, teams will perform in 2020 and for this show we're talking about the St George Illawarra Dragons now it must be said they had a pretty dismal year in 2019 Xander they faded in the second half of the season to second last so on this episode we're going to go and take a look at their chances Mary McGregor it must be said uh, recently returned from a trip from the United States to gather some intel and some ideas as to how they can improve their performance next year. Uh, During the week-long tour, he apparently visited the New York Giants, the Brooklyn Nets, the U.S. Tennis Association's Flushing Meadow headquarters, as well as attending NFL, NBA and NHL matches. And get this, he also met with representatives from the United Nations. So Mary seems pretty serious about 2020, Xander. Um, He met with the fucking UN... (laughs) Um, can this help the dragons? What was the topic of discussion? <laughs> I, that I, I think he was trying to solve the dispute between Somalia and Ethiopia because there's obviously rising tensions. Wasn't able to to, to um, you know resolve the, the situation with Jack DeBell, and I don't know, I don't know how he's going to go with Israel Palestine. You know, it's just <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what the topic of conversation was uh, with the United Nations, but good on him for trying to think outside of the box. 
I mean, look, he's done a number of things uh, at the end of last season, and I think a lot of people probably view 2020 as Paul McGregor's last shot at it. I think if he if it becomes a, a blunder of a season, um, he'll probably will find he might not even see the season out. I think he'll be knifed before then. So the St. George Illawarra management are sort of right over the top of him on this. So at the end of this last season, he appointed uh, Phil Gas Gould uh, to do a full review, to help conduct a full review of what happened during the season. Um, now, it must be I've always said- find that really funny, like, you know... Bringing someone on to do a, a, a review of what happened during the season, like you weren't there watching it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so this is kind of like extra set of eyes yeah. in case you know you, you you've missed something, and maybe the outsider's yeah. perspective might pick something up. But you're right. I think they do a review, a comprehensive one, at the end of the three weeks. They'd go, "Yeah, mate, your side was actually pretty shit last year. That's what went wrong." So whether or not that was what was said between Phil Gould and Paul McGregor, I don't know. But I can tell you they're actually very good friends. So I think there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. I think mm. if you're going to get an objective third party in, uh, maybe don't choose someone that you mm. drink with pretty regularly because I think McGregor's chosen him because he thinks Gus won't fire him. I'm pretty sure that's the reason he's been selected. It's, it always, I mean, it makes me think of, you know, like a, a company that is... Uh, been involved in some massive public fuck up where they've lost huge shareholder value bringing in the consultants to do mm. a review of their business and of course they're paying the consultants so they've laid the tracks down for them so they know where they're going to go yeah exactly and it just you know what I mean like it's it's they they bring someone in so they have somewhere to point where there's a that you know when they've when they've got their conclusion that it's not theirs. Yeah, exactly. You know? So these are the answers we want. Can you go and get them and present them yeah. back to me? Look, it's a third party. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this isn't my own review. <laughs> I've instructed a third person to give me my own opinions. Um, so it does seem to be a conflict of interest. But um, I think to just give a bit of a postmortem on 2019 for you, where do you think the Dragons went wrong last year? What did you think their major weaknesses were? Uh, I mean... Where do you start? You, you probably start at DeBellin and Woodip. Yeah, I think they're huge factors. So Jack DeBellin, for the listeners that don't know, obviously, um, encountered some legal issues last year. And the St. George Dragons, or the St. George Illawarra Dragons, sorry, Illawarra, um, took the unusual step, I think, Mm. of uh, standing him down, but having him embedded in the playing group the whole time. And I he think trained with them every week. Trained with them, and they, I think he was there as a shadow the whole time. I think with some expect, expectancy that he would be cleared mm. to play. But, of course, that didn't happen, um, and he's been committed to stand trial, and it kind of backfired. So I think over time... Just a little. Yeah, so I think Jack DeBellin was there with the camp, and he kind of depressed yeah. the entire squad. Um, so that was, a, I think, a, a fairly sizable strategic misstep on behalf of McGregor to do that. I think it might have been better to support him privately um, and not have him maybe embedded so much with the team. Uh, do, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I I mean, it's probably one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty. but everything I've read about it, it sounds like it was a bit of a distraction and it was a bit probably almost awkward. Yeah. Um, you got in there every every week. Um, you know, what is the point of it apart from keeping him fit? If if you you know that they've got this no-fault um, stand-down rule. Although that came in after the fact, didn't it? it? I think they brought it in because of DeBellum. Yeah, they did. But, you know, the, the, like they, was, they still had him training up until the back end of the season. You know, they... they like that that no fault uh, stand down rule was was there for a long time after they decided to keep him around. Yeah, that's very true. And you and you alluded to something earlier as well Xander and that was Gareth Widdop. Now he's moved on from the club now, but a man plagued with injuries who is a very good player mind you, but so much of their attacking prowess 
rested on his, excuse the pun, shoulders, yeah. uh, very feeble shoulders, it would appear, because I think he did a number of injuries throughout the season, and I think they really missed him. Yeah, well, he got he, he did his shoulder, I think, what, in like round four or something, and he was considered to be out for the season, managed to come back. And then did it again. Yeah, and then did it again. And, you know, the worst part with him is that he seems to be doing those injuries in the most innocuous fashion yeah. possible. He just falls on the ball and looks like he's in blinding pain. So maybe... The NRL's not for him. He should go off and do 10-pin bowling <laughs> or something. It's a shame, but it's exactly what happened to uh, Kieran Foran in that tackle for the Kiwis. Yeah. Like, really innocuous thing, and you're like, yeah, there's, there's something deeper and structural there. Yeah, 100%. His hamstrings must be made of tissue paper. It's ridiculous. Um, another factor in St. George Illawarra's performance last year, I think Xander was the up-and-down confidence of Ben Hunt, uh, to, to me, I think needs a, a fairly solid halves partner. Uh, who can steer the team around the park. I don't think he has the greatest record when all of that responsibility is his. I think he's better when he sort of augments someone who does all the steering. Uh, so if St. George Illawarra can get someone in the halves next year who can take the pressure off Hunt mate, and let Ben Hunt be Ben Hunt, mm. um, they might be in much better stead. Where do you see Ben Hunt fitting in with the Dragons? Do you think he's been a good buy or do you think they're going to keep him? Yeah, I'm not not Ben Hunt's biggest fan. I just think, yeah. I don't think he's, yeah. I think you're right. I think I think he's probably a, a player that that isn't bad as a second fiddle to a dominant half, but he, he isn't. Yeah, he, he he isn't who you want starting and running your show. Now, are you holding the 2015 Grand Final against him here? Now, just because every time a restart happens, he looks like he's trying to catch a falling baby. Um, isn't a reason to hold his whole career against him. Just making sure you're not carrying that prejudice with you. I wasn't going. If it was a prejudice, it would indicate that I was in support of the Broncos. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah. You, you punched a hole in my attack there. So looking at the positives for the Dragons next year, um, they've recently uh, looked like they've locked up the young gun, Zach Lomax, um, and they've managed to uh, secure the signature of Isaac Luke. Now, that's an interesting decision. Um, Isaac Luke, in the twilight of his career now, last couple of seasons haven't been particularly successful for him uh, compared to his normal form. Left the Warriors, and it looks as though they're going to play him off the bench behind Cameron McInnes. Now, interesting to sign a guy, a hooker, uh, when your hooker's probably your best player last year Mm. in Cameron McInnes. What do you make of that signing? Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting one. Um, I, I, the only thing I can think is is maybe that he was you know they they got him on a cheap deal and they thought they could just use a bit more depth there and he might yeah. maybe I mean well, how old is McInnes? He's not. No, McInnes uh, is fairly young, so yeah. there's a, a big future ahead of him. So maybe it's maybe it's also just a matter of of having a mature sort of calm set of hands for yeah. you know because you know he's a premiership winner, he's been around for a while. Bring him in, you know he can he can play that role sort of like say Jake Friend with. Yeah. Um, uh, with Verrills at the Roosters. Yeah, and, and as you said, they probably got him for a song. Mm. I probably, what do you reckon they've paid for him? Yeah, I'd be interested to know. But I, yeah. I, I think they've paid him in McDonald's vouchers. <laughs> I don't think they've paid actual Australian currency yeah. uh, for Isaac Luke. It's and, all you need to be convinced to come back to Australia after a stint with the Warriors. Yeah, and this is how you know that it might not be part of their key strategy because uh, people found out about it uh, through Isaac Luke's Instagram. So I think they... <laughs> The, the Dragons didn't even announce it. Uh, and everyone went, oh, looks like unless Luke's joking, he's coming to St. George. Uh, so that did seem a little bit unusual. So I'm assuming they haven't probably forked out a lot of money for him. Trent Merrin, one of St. George Alora's favourite sons, looks as though he might be returning from the Super League. And everyone thought he should retire five years ago. Uh, and yet 
and now everyone seems a little bit excited that Merrim might be coming back now. Is he a bit too much of a geriatric to have any impact on St George next year? I mean, I quite like the guy, mm. but I liked him in 1998. Yeah, when, when, you, when, when we were looking at this before, I, mean, I could barely remember the last time I saw him play, and I'd forgotten that he went to the Super League. Yeah, he was um, in black and white the last time I saw him. It was, um, he was being narrated by a guy who was going, take that, Mr. Hitler. <laughs> it had that voice, so it was very old. It was one of those old archives. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's, 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 there's part of Mary's um, grand plan in his world tour. He saw something that none of us have seen in the Super League. Osteoporosis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the last little piece of the puzzle uh, before we close out the show um, is the young Tristan Saylor. Now, this was something interesting. I didn't know this before um, today, actually, because for me, Tristan Saylor is a, a real prospect for St. George Illawarra. Debut against the Roosters. In a flogging, but that wasn't his fault. Uh, he actually played really well, and I thought showed great signs in the back end of last year. Uh, he played a bit of fullback, played a bit of centre wing, uh, potentially could move into the halves at some point. But interestingly, St George Illawarra haven't signed him yet. He's unsigned for next year. Mm. Um, it seems a bit of an unusual one. I think they'd want to lock him up. Yeah, I was really surprised when I when I heard that they hadn't signed him, given particularly that you know Big Dell is is, is probably become the most vocal. Big, you know, big red V supporter out there. Oh yeah, hasn't he? Um, so I mean, you'd, you'd think that you just for the branding, you'd want to lock him up pretty oh, no. quickly. Is Wendell doing that just because he wants to be sponsored by St George Bank or something? It feels like he there's some financial incentive in there for. I him. think it's just Dell being Dell, which is which I'm okay. Part with. of his charm, I reckon. Yeah, no, totally. I love the fact he refers to himself in the third person <laughs> constantly. That is indeed him to my heart, no doubt about that. Um, and do you know what else endeared me, endeared him to my heart? The fact he went on The Masked Singer and wasn't the worst singer on the show. Yeah, that's right. And do you know who the worst singer on the show was? An actual country singer called Adam Brand, who I've never heard of, <laughs> who was fucking shit. And um, before you all react, yes, I have watched a bit of The Masked Singer and I should be ashamed of myself. Um, now, we're going to go to social media here, Xander, because we also put out um, how, a question regarding how the Dragons will perform next year. And we said, uh, will it be a huge improvement, a slight improvement, much the same as 2019, or they will be diabolical? Uh, and the winner of that, can you guess? Um, I'm going to go with diabolical. <laughs> that was in second place of 34%. Most of the punters at 41% thought it would be much the same. So there's not yeah. a huge amount of optimism uh, from the Twitter sphere regarding St. George Illawarra next year. Um, and I can't really blame them unless, of course, Phil Gus Gould has done something magical in the review. Well, it's worked out for Penrith. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's it for another episode of The Voluntary Tackle. Please follow the show on Twitter. Uh, we can be found at the handle at Voluntary Tackle. And also rate and comment on the podcast on iTunes if you feel like it. Uh, you don't want to see us fall into the wayside of history like the career of Matt Nabel. So please uh, do that. That'd be fantastic. Also, keep an eye out for a few more Legends of League interviews. Uh, we have a few more in store for you. And if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, we recently had a, an amazing chat with Parramatta Eels legend Brett Kenny. So get involved if you haven't already. That's on the feed. Uh, also, we'd like to put a big shout out to our mates over at Sports Best Friends, a fellow rugby league potty. Uh, get on board if you haven't and you just need more rugby league in your life. And for those wanting to contribute to the league community, you can support the Rugby League Project at a special Patreon site. That is www.patreon.com forward slash RL Project. That's all from us. So until next time, just do what disgraced comedian Bill Cosby would do and claim all the women he ever assaulted were simply in need of a good night's sleep. Bye for now.
Well, Xander, it's that special time of the show uh, in the middle of the credits, and that's where you know the best stuff is really at. And it's time for our mascot war. So on the count of three, we're going to hurl a mascot at each other and then find out who would win in a battle royale. One, two, three. Western Blue Reds. Socks. Okay, so the, this is interesting. This looks like a colour war of some description. So the Western Reds versus the Blue Sox. That's um, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just to be clear, because I'm not a baseball fan, but when you say Blue Sox, is it literally a pair of socks that are blue or is this referring to some kind of animal I've never heard of? It's it's literally a pair of socks that are blue. Um, yep. If you've ever seen the Sydney Blue Sox mascot, it's, 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 it's uh, socks that have facial expressions. Pretty shit, isn't it? I mean, that's <laughs> it's not sort of terribly creative, is yeah, it? Yeah, no, you'd see better stuff on a Lowe's ad. So I'm not very happy with that. Lowe's I mean, are their sponsor, actually. Is that right? Well, it makes a lot of sense. Don't know, actually. Um, so you've got that, but unfortunately, I've selected a mascot that doesn't come with a huge amount of ferocity either, and that's a Western Red. Now, um, the actually, re- the Western Red <laughs> is this the kangaroo? It's the big red kangaroo. Okay, fair enough. All so right. they're the roid munching kangaroos. Fantastic. I think, you, I think you might have my number, actually. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen seen photos of them around the internet over the last years, but they look like fucking bodybuilders. A lot of them are juicy, I've noticed. So they're obviously hanging around with Stephen Dank. Um, I'm not sure if he is a naturalist or not, but maybe that's where he's getting his ram semen from because he's just hanging around in natural landscapes. ram semen. I mean, it doesn't really bear thinking about, but imagine Stephen Dank trying to get the semen from the ram. You can only imagine what he needs to do. Um, Milking a ram for its semen... I don't know. It doesn't sound like a fun time to and spend your been, Saturday night. He's been doing that since before he heard it was good. He's been doing it, yeah, exactly, without the health benefit, just because he likes semen on tap. Um, but if we go back to this, uh, if we go back to this battle and try to get that image out of our minds for a few minutes. Um, let's find out if the Blue Sox can stage a boil over the pair of Blue Sox <laughs> against a roided red kangaroo. Uh, what would a Blue Sox need to do to win that match? I think probably you know, attach themselves to the big red kangaroo's uh, mm. feet just to disorient it. Yeah, okay. Um, yep. You know, maybe, you know, have you ever seen, you ever seen uh, when you put like socks on, on a dog or a cat? <laughs> Never done it myself, uh, well, but I've always wanted to. Well, I have a dog and I have done that to my dog. I put socks on them. Uh, for, what, for what reason? Well, actually to get it to stop chewing her feet. Um, okay. So like they're kind of, you know, ones that basically just wrap around so they, they don't, you know, do too much damage when they get too itchy. So she's self-harming? Yeah. Has she gone to a dog psychologist? No, but we just got her some special shampoo that actually seemed to be a lot, lot more effective. Wow. But the socks were the first port of call. Um, and geez, it's funny as shit watching a dog walk around, particularly if they're a strong terrier type like ours, yeah. um, with a pair of socks because it just it's it's like they're on acid. Okay, so um, your, your theory is, as a blue sock, get yourself onto a, a really strong, sturdy canine that could do your bidding for you, essentially hijacking a dog to fight the kangaroo? Is no, that where you're no, going? no, no, no. I, I was saying get yourself attached to the kangaroo's feet. They probably lose all coordination and just fall over a cliff. Okay. Would that, would that be a draw? Because if you, I assume the socks would go off the cliff with the kangaroo. Yeah, but you, know, you could probably throw a pair of socks over the cliff of a can- <laughs> pair of socks, socks over a cliff of it pretty well any height and they'd be all right i think you're right by the time it hit the sort of jagged rocks at the bottom it would be the kangaroo with a shattered skull 